This episode of Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olakara is brought to you by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridge and Build. And now, here's your host, founder and CEO of the Millennial Action Project, Stephen Olakara. Welcome to Meeting in Middle America, our podcast, meeting the leaders and exploring the ideas that are bringing people together in the Midwest. And we have a real treat today. We have Dave Weigel of the Washington Post. He just completed a massive article uh, breaking down Wisconsin politics and what I call the unique swinginess uh, of our state. And uh, he is here in Milwaukee for the Democratic National Convention. Dave, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I got to give you extra credit because a lot of journalists have abandoned their plans to come to Milwaukee and you are here. What's the experience been like and why did you decide to keep your plans of visiting Milwaukee? I mean, the plans did change. I think in normal conditions, I would have gotten here on Saturday, um, be running around all day. We had the post had a big block of hotel rooms as we always do. I don't even know where they were because they canceled them. Uh, and so it's downscaled and I'm not trying to invent news where there isn't any, uh, I've, there's been one protest I covered a little bit of interaction with, um, uh, with Republican protesters, a larger anti-war protest, but that's been it. And the parties actually, the DNC has been very adamant about reporters not needing to be here. I mean, when they canceled media events, they also canceled badges. So you do, you went through a process, everyone who did applying for coverage that you had to submit stuff to the secret service, et cetera. And you just, if you show up for a badge now, there isn't one. So there's not stuff to really do. Um, and I've been catching up with people that I wanted to talk to. Sometimes I'm they're in Milwaukee, but we talk on the phone cause that's what's easiest for them. So there's not, right. there's not a lot to cover. I just wanted to see it. It is rare that you get to cover something this unique. I mean, uh, God willing, there's not a there's not a a, still a coronavirus or or something worse in 2024 so this might be the only convention quite like this right i saw you ran into my friend john nichols uh of of the nation earlier and he had a funny post that there is a uh a bird crossing the street near the convention hall and he said that's the most exciting thing happening uh near the convention center so that's that sounds right yeah (laughs) uh really and I feel bad for whoever's being paid to both fly a anti-abortion plane banner and drive an anti-abortion billboard truck because nobody, nobody's looking at them. <laughs> I mean, one thing I kind of, I wrote in the dispatch this morning about how little's happening here is just at this protest yesterday. And I, I you know, you kind of deal with what you have. It's almost like, you know, the ship's stranded and you're cooking the leather off the shoe because you have nothing else to go to eat. Uh, right. The, there's this one protest that draws 60 people and there's a biker who by every indication has conservative opinions who parks yeah. as close as he can get to it and just starts blasting uh, 70s hard rock until people tell him to leave. And that was again, as close. I mean, this is my, my frame of reference from the last convention, uh, the you know, Cleveland Republican convention, the Philadelphia Democrat convention, any protest had hundreds of people and a hundred mm-hmm. counter protesters. And that's, not going to be i mean i think uh, the average little sidebar event from the dnc last time is going to be bigger than anything that happens here yeah that's right now in preparing for this piece you wrote about wisconsin 
Have you uh, had a longstanding interest in Wisconsin politics? Have you been to the state before, or is this one of your uh, your your first visits? No, I've been I've been coming here for various stories since 2011. I think the first time I was in the state was uh, no, I take it back. It was 2010. I came here before the the 2010 midterms, and I was with Russ Feingold. I covered uh, Sean Duffy's campaign. Uh, and then I came back in February 2011 for the Act the Act One debate in Madison, and I, I think I basically come back to the state at least once a year every year since then. Uh, sometimes more frequently. I mean, uh, it, it's remained it's remained a, a swing state uh, even despite. And one thing I pointed out in this guide to the state is if you look at just the numbers, the gap between Bush and Kerry, the gap between Trump and Hillary on paper 2004 and 2016 were almost identical elections they're completely different uh the party's coalitions changed a lot in that period of time and you know, just driving around and going to culvers and stuff is not enough to like get, sh- show you the entire shape of the land uh yeah. but you know in here i i always am i'm kind of trying to take the pol- the political pulse whenever i'm here but i i'd say i probably come here more than anywhere else in the midwest yeah Yeah, well, let's dig into that piece. It's called The Seven Political States of Wisconsin. For a lot of national observers, it's sometimes hard to place Wisconsin in a certain narrative or a certain box. First of all, how did you just come up with the framework Mm -hmm. in analyzing Wisconsin and to unpack all of the unique dynamics? Just conceptually, how did you come up with that? Uh, It was a combination of ideas from editors. I, I was... I, I generally kind of like looking at a map and knowing what's moved, where votes are coming from, who lives where. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't like arguing with people about maps, but it, it, I'm one of those people who always rolls my eyes when the president will tout the map of 2016 to show how much red there was. And I want to say, like, well, I can, t- I can point to some of those counties and tell you how, many, how what their vote was from last time and how there's hundred people there and 10,000 or hundred thousand people there. Um, yeah. So I, I, I had an interest in, in the first place. Editors wanted to make it more dynamic uh, and I worked with them and uh, we have a number of swing States coming up uh, through this, through the next weekend, through um, the better part of September and all along the same theme of, of here is a map of the state. And it's not necessarily the, the same one that you, you know, the, the department of transportation might use or, the one that lines up with the congressional districts, uh, it is regions of the state uh, by how they've shifted politically and how the, how the campaigns look at them. And that, that's been the focus. So I did one for Michigan. It's caused a little bit of contra- controversy in Michigan because no one can agree where North Michigan starts and, and where, where mid Michigan begins. My thing there was, I was like, well, for political purposes, um, Mid Michigan's just it, you have to break it into different different components. So I did that, and I did the same thing here. I mean, I I separated the Wow counties uh, from the rest of Southeast Wisconsin just to explain. In the Wow counties, you need a gigantic Republican margin. The rest of Southeast Wisconsin, it's a little trickier. There there have been shifts in both directions in places like Rock County and uh, places like Kenosha, and and then I I people were not as annoyed as I thought with how I divided north, northwest and northeast, because that was the one part of the map I was worried, worried about. But yeah, it's not, I'm not suggesting the state go back and redraw any maps based on this. It's just the way, <laughs> the way we've seen things move. Right. I think you're trying to capture 
a number of dynamics that aren't as easily categorized into just, you know, if you take Southeast, for example, you can't put Southeast to, into one box. You've got Milwaukee, you have the so-called wow counties. And for those who are not familiar, it's Washington, Ozaki and Waukesha yeah. counties. And I figured you your have, audience would know. So I, I, didn't, I didn't spell yes. it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then the uh, Southeast, which includes kind of white uh, working class voters. This is where Foxconn is going in and is having uh, a, a number of interesting stories come out of that. Now, let's let's start with southwestern Wisconsin. That's This is the driftless area. It's geologically unique, but also politically interesting in that you, it has one of the highest, if not the highest, concentration of Obama voters who supported Obama twice in 08 and 12 and then switched to Trump. And you point out in the piece how Ron Kind is right in the middle, a Democratic uh, congressman is right in the middle of this shifting trend and, and is facing a competitive challenger. How do you think this shifting politics of Southwest and Western Wisconsin is going to manifest itself in the Ron Kind race? Do you think Ron Kind is kind of a, 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 an embodiment of the past Democratic Party there? Or do you think it's he can kind of adapt to the shifting uh, trends there? Right, well, Southwest Wisconsin was, is the most interesting part of the state in terms of comparing Wisconsin to the rest of the Midwest. I mean, you had in 2016, a fall off of Democratic votes and move to Trump that nobody saw coming. I mean, if Republicans had seen it coming, I think they would have recruited a stronger challenger to kind, which they've, which they've done this year. I mean, he has a ton of money. He's fairly popular in the district, but they've, they've, they've clued in that in the last election that this, the map's going to look like this, they're making a run for it. And hey, if, if there's going to be a fight over the map in, in, in 2021, but I, I can see Kind's district being one that Republicans go after. Because remember, when they when they drew the district in the first place, he had a tough race in 2010. Uh, the deal was kind of to give him what was then a much safer Democratic area. And what's now um, now the, the what's key is that Hillary Clinton lost the area. Every Democrat in 2018 won it, and so it, it, it's unclear how much of the the shift in places like Grant and Crawford County was people. How much people wanted that to be permanent? And how much of it was a let's try this out once uh, Donald Trump vote. And that's the democratic theory. And they've really convinced themselves of this is that there just are a ton of voters. I don't think the polling says they're wrong. A ton of voters who wanted to shake things up to use the phrase that got you, that got deployed so often and are not sold on voting for Trump again. And that's the kind of place you saw it because even outside of the, the real democratic strongholds like uh, Eau Claire and La Crosse, just the, the, there's nothing if you, if you were to i guess take some somebody from one of the coasts and drop them in one of the, one of the towns in the area i don't think it would look that that different on first blush apart from some of the geography to much more parts uh, conservative parts of the state 2 hours away yep that's right that's right and now moving to the the wow counties this is the part of the state that i grew up in and as you note and and other analysts have noted uh it's starting to trend a little bit more democratic doesn't mean that democrats are going to win a majority necessarily but moving uh in in that direction and i think that's what the biden campaign is 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 banking on what do you think is behind that shift what do you think are the core drivers of that shift well that's uh, i, I want to keep saying this is the most fascinating part of the map because actually a couple of parts of it are interesting for different reasons so uh, 
a big difference when you're kind of explaining to people who are not from the, the, the Great Lakes region what's different about each of the states. Um, the suburbs of Detroit, the suburbs of, uh, of Chicago, uh, they, they've, they've, they're diverse and they've moved Democratic in a big way over the last decade. Even when Democrats aren't doing particularly well, they win kind of outer Cook County around Chicago and they win um, Oakland County or outside of Michigan, outside of Detroit, I should say. Uh, and that is not the case. And the point I was trying to make is that the immediate suburbs of Milwaukee, for 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 reasons of of, of racial politics, of migrate of migration, of of the just what we saw in a lot of a lot of cities in the '60s and '70s, uh, it is a conservative stronghold. And, and even until not that long ago, I mean, uh, Milwaukee County outside of the city um, was 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 very conservative. There's still a conservative Democrats there. Um, what happened in 2000? 16 is that even as she lost, uh, Hillary Clinton was making up ground in the Wow counties and doing better than Russ Feingold was doing in a way that made Republicans worry. I mean, Republicans early in the night saw some of those numbers and thought, oh, okay, well, if this repeats, if this is what's happening across the state, we're not going to win. Um, you saw the same thing happen in, in 2018. Just Tony Evers did much, much better um, than Kathy Burke in that region. And it is not shifting as much as suburbs and other parts of the Midwest. And I want to compare each city to each city, but just uh, other, other maps like this, you know, there's a, there's a big blue dot and then there's some kind of lighter shades of turquoise around it. Um, th this arrangement where there's a big blue dot and then bright red ne next to it. Um, that is going to keep up in this election. I don't, I don't see any evidence uh, that, that the Wow Candies are going to go blue anytime soon. But just a diminution in the margin is worth tens of thousands of votes. And 30,000 votes would have swung the election in 2016. So that's why it's pivotal. And that's, you know, it's hard to see what the, the Democratic campaigns are doing because they're, do, they're not focused on door-to-door -door organizing like the Republicans are. Uh, but I just, just driving in the area yesterday when I was heading to a Republican event, I don't see the same anti-Hillary animus that I saw there before. Uh, that uh, Biden is not as motivating, making many people ang as angry as Hillary was. Yeah, that's right. My, my own personal view on that is if you believe in the logic that Wisconsin is the likely tipping point state for the country within Wisconsin, I would argue potentially the suburban Milwaukee area and the Wow counties could be the tipping point state uh, tipping yeah. point counties uh, for the state. So we'll see how yeah, that plays well, out. Well, they stay red. I mean, you can look at the map and the Wow counties are red. But if, if this is if this is a smaller margin, um, then that that's going to be devastating for the president's chances. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of what people uh, need to understand with this region is uh, that it's, it's, a, it's it increasing in population. Uh, and, and, and there are a lot of votes to get there, even though it's still reliably Republican, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the other region I just want to pinpoint uh, is the one where the president is in right now. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, what, what you identified as Northeast Wisconsin. And uh, the president, uh, at the time of taping this right now, is just beginning his speech uh, in Oshkosh. And so what do you think is the impact, or maybe there's no impact at all, but do you think there's an impact of President Trump coming to Oshkosh, being there to speak in person uh, while the Democrats move the convention to virtual? My sense is that the idea that the Republicans have is to set up that contrast uh, do you think there's any uh, impact of that kind of juxtaposition between the Democratic convention and Trump speaking in Oshkosh right now? 
Uh, well, not in a way the Democrats think hurts them. I mean, we have we have polling on this. We have polling on how the election's going statewide, and just uh, the only people, <laughs> not the I mean, they're the only people who think that the Democrats should be holding this convention under normal terms, that Biden should be here, are Republicans and Independents who were not inclined to vote for Biden. Most of the state is fine with this, uh, and what Democrats have not really threaded is how to keep the candidate and his vice presidential nominee fairly limited in their travel without, without making it look like they're alienating anybody. And this was really the test. I mean, um, the key in, in 2016 was not how many times Hillary Clinton was campaigning in Wisconsin. It was really just the state, this state, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, not Pennsylvania, sorry, this state in Michigan, uh, they did not give the same attention to as Barack Obama did in terms of advertising, in terms of organizing, in terms of surrogates. Um, so not sending surrogates here, but super PACs and the Biden campaign have spent a ton of money uh, and Democrats have done a ton of organizing above and beyond what they did in 16. I mean, they really got scared straight. Now, the Republican response has been find more voters, register, register more conservative voters who might have stayed on the fence and didn't bother voting in 16 or 18. Uh, this is a very high turnout state. I think there are fewer fewer of those voting are in a place like Florida uh, or even Pennsylvania. I mean, just, just the traditions, the way you vote here, people can come out if they want to. I think there's less of that. And the Democratic theory is, look, yeah, uh, for all of the shouting and all the protests, uh, Governor Evers is very popular in the way he's approached the, the pandemic. When he's put a mask order in, people have sided with him generally, unless, unless you're a member of the, of the state Supreme Court. Uh, or a member of the legislature, most of the state has, has sided with him on that. And so that's their bet. And um, I'm not making excuses. I mean, I, I, as a reporter, it's kind of, there's existential implications if you just don't need to show up to a place people will vote for you. Uh, but we saw this in the primary. So, you know, Bernie Sanders spent uh, a decent amount of time in Wisconsin. Now, now, the campaigning was shut down by the time the state was actually voting. But one of the first Sanders events in 2015, when he joined the race, sorry, 2019 when he joined this race was uh, was in Madison. He went to Madison. He went through the Midwest. He had organizers here. He had clubs here. Uh, Elizabeth Warren came here, had organized, Clayton Klobuchar came here, et cetera. But Joe Biden didn't do anything. And turnout was under pandemic conditions <laughs> quite strong. And people, I mean, he, he won Dane County over Bernie Sanders despite everything too. So Democrats have already seen through the primary process that advertising, uh, organizing, getting people to return their absentee ballots has been pretty effective without the cam the campaigns just having events. And, and this is why you talk about eating existential. I mean, a lot of campaign events are for people like me or <laughs> for reporters to, to see what they're doing. Now there, there's political science, you know, the presidential visits themselves can add, add, add a little bit of a boost. The risk is that the story is not what the president or the candidate meant to say. And is a mistake they made. I mean, the, the great Wisconsin example of this is John Kerry going to green Bay and, and, saying that the Packers played on Lambert Field, um, which I, hope, I guess no one remembers that, but it was a big deal. I remember that, yeah. You remember that. Yeah, Dick Cheney came to the state and kept emphasizing the name to get it wrong. So you can get it wrong, but generally, um, let's say in a normal campaign, I think uh, Joe Biden would probably be campaigning here, Kamala Harris be campaigning here, I don't know, 20 times before the election. The way things are going now, they might not campaign at all, but they're spending a ton more money than Hillary Clinton did. And the final stretch of 2016 uh, and really, the Comey letter shifted some things. Democrats polling said they were, and their modeling said they were winning Wisconsin narrowly, and it, it moved off the board. Um, what was key is they just they were not competing for it 
in terms of res- in terms of adding resources the way Obama did. And when they did, they kind of rushed in ads at the last minute that were about uh, the danger of Donald Trump, his hand on the nuclear button, um, the message to young girls of him winning. And those were not issues that were moving the kind of rural white voters who voted for Obama twice and then went to vote for, for Sammy Baldwin, Tony Evers. They just, they didn't click. You know, and I think the Democratic advertising has been much more effective uh, in this cycle. Right. Now, you mentioned how some of your first visits to the state were in the earlier part of the decade. And that is when, as you pointed out in your piece, uh, Obama was overperforming in the state. Yeah. Uh, even in a tougher election in 2012. What do you think was in either his uh, his message? I mean, he clearly had a strong campaign, but was there something in his message that and, and the way he delivered his message that uh, allowed him to overperform? And there are there any takeaways for for this year's election? So there's so much in it. So uh, Obama from 2008 to 2012, um, the economy had recovered. Uh, some manufacturing had been lost. Some had been saved. He had a very good economic message. He had not yet started pursuing uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, not as a priority of administration, which um, Hillary Clinton ended up abandoning before the election because just it was anathema to a lot of uh, working class white voters here. Um, another trade deal. You know, who, who knows what, what could happen to people's jobs. Uh, and also just a the opioid crisis is not really bit down the same way. And the Obama administration rightly or wrongly was seen as not being very responsive to that. So there are a few problems that I think manifested. Uh, I think any Democrat would have done worse than Barack Obama did uh, just from some of that attrition, some of the voter frustration with how he performed. I uh, also I mean, he governed a bit more liberally in the second term than he did in the first. Uh, he didn't have Congress, the house voting the way he wanted on things. But for example, he didn't touch gun rights at all in any way in the first term. Uh, Sandy Hook happens in December, I forgive November, December, at the end, after the election 2012, and he pursues gun control. And look, at, at this point, I think um, the gun gun control side of things is probably stronger than it's been since maybe Columbine, maybe before that, after the you know assassination of John Lennon, the attempt on, on Reagan. You know, this is kind of a, like a cicada lifespan thing. The NRA makes gains and then it loses ground. Um, but I think that issue cost votes and that was not something the Hillary people were very prepared on. Um, so I think, I think um, the, the party was in a weaker position heading in 2016. And there also were just dynamics like uh, new restrictions on voting, voter ID, uh, the right to work law that was passed, which absolutely hurt Democratic turnout. So I'm mentioning some things that are going to be a problem for Democrats uh, going forward. I mean, the, the Joe Biden campaign, I think even if he's winning the way that polling suggests he can win the state, uh, you know, winning by six points or so, uh, he's going he's gonna to be losing some voters who back Democrats for most of their lives. Um, now, the key, we, we, we mentioned Milwaukee County and the Wild Counties. Milwaukee itself, uh, that is a place where Democrats were upset, uh, obsessed once the election was over because there was a drop off of almost 50,000 votes between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama's second election, Hillary Clinton, even though she did better in a couple of um, suburbs in the, in the county. I mean, that was just a ton of voters in Milwaukee who didn't bother voting. There were voters in, in, even though she did better in Dane County than Democrats usually did, still some voters who just kind of sloughed off and wrote in a name or voted for Jill Stein. I mean, they really think they left um, tens and thousands of liberal voters and black voters on, on the board just because I mean, this is a thing that's not happening right uh, right now. Just people thinking, well, okay, well, Trump obviously can't win. So what's what? 
why turn out with the harm? I don't like this candidate anyway. I think the, the, the voter dynamics are very different. I think, and I think Trump has added some support. Now it's been shifting. He's lost, he's lost it from, from month to month because of the, of, during the pandemic, I shouldn't say because, uh, but there was just an electorate that I think would have elected Hillary Clinton narrowly in the state and everything went wrong for them at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Now, one thing your piece captures and, and some of the ma- major pieces uh, capture, I don't know if you saw the, the New Yorker piece about um, farmers in, in rural Wisconsin who are, who are under a lot of pain right now, mm-hmm. is the dynamic of political polarization. So a lot of people see Wisconsin as a perps, purple state and you have purple regions within the state, but really it's, it's you know, polarized you know, pockets within these regions uh, of, of very, you know, fervent Democratic and Republican voters. And, and that's part of, as you mentioned in your piece, what's led to a lot of this trench warfare uh, in Wisconsin. So, you know, one thing our podcast and my organization, Millennial Action Project, focus on is how we bridge these divides. Based on all of your reporting in Wisconsin, do you see any themes or any emerging strands of, 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 of being able to transcend these highly polarized divides in Wisconsin uh, that, you know, I'm sure you can uh, validate this, that Wisconsin is probably among the most polarized states in the country. Um, Mm -hmm. What are those forces that you think have the chance to transcend divides in a state like Wisconsin? Well, so I think your your premise is correct. I don't think um, anything less than like a blowout election would be that decisive. And look, in your, if you're talking about divisiveness, Barack Obama won Wisconsin by a landslide 2008. By 2010, not only had Republicans won, but the state was completely politically divided. And uh, uh, without going over 10 years of history, the, the Scott Walker theory of politics and the Donald Trump theory of politics is not let's build the biggest coalition possible. It's not a Tommy Thompson um, uh, strategy or a, George, or a George Bush strategy. It is how do we get, maximize what we've got uh, it's how do we how do we win and redistrict in a way that even if we don't get a clear majority of the vote, we control the legislature? How do we get get the votes that we pass a bill that's going to hurt the Democrats in the next election like right to work? Uh, the Democrats have not had the same ap- uh, approach. I mean, when they're in power, the, the version and actually Wisconsin is sort of the origin of this. I mean, in, w- the first time there was an effort to pass national uh, voter re- same day voter registration was after the 1976 election. Carter had won Wisconsin very narrowly. Democrats all believe same-day registration was a big part of that. And Republicans stopped it, even though they're in the minority, with this kind of campaign of how it was going to cause fraud. It sounds familiar. I mean, just basically, but when Democrats are trying to increase their advantage, and I'm not saying they have the white hats in every situation, their side is the black hats. Generally, their idea is how do we distribute more money? How do we make, more, make it so more people can vote easily? Um, and a lot of that's because, you know, look, their, their, their majority is going to be based on you know, hundreds of precincts in Milwaukee versus Republicans maxing out turnout in some some smaller towns where voting takes ten minutes. You park your car, you walk to the library, you walk out. So uh, I, I it's going to remain divided. Now the difference here is that uh, both Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden have similar campaign themes, which is Donald Trump's trying to divide us. I'm going to unite us. The difference is, and this is not just me being at the DNC and internalizing what they've been saying. You know, there's, there's been four years of this president. There's been uh, an example of 
what this kind of governance is like. There's been clearly in a lot with a lot of suburban voters just an exhaustion, even of some things that ha that they wanted to have and happen, uh, an exhaustion with the style of politics pursued by the president. So, uh, they, I, the idea here is that Biden is not proposing anything that radical. Um, and I'm just trying to use the word in a neutral way. I mean, if you poll nothing that he's running on is supported by less than 65% of the, the country, it, depending on how, on how you phrase it, you know, he's not doing Medicare for all he's doing. Let's let more people buy into a get Medicaid in the government plan. That's pretty popular. He's not doing let's confiscate guns. He's doing background checks and assault weapons ban. Pretty popular. Go down the list. He's running on a more popular agenda than the president. Uh, and this is a reason I think the president has struggled to, to pin the tail on him because he really wants to run against somebody more left wing, rightly or wrongly. And he's been attacking him uh, based on policies it doesn't hold. So you're going to have a divisive election, but it's going to be odd because on the one hand, uh, the president will say, Joe Biden will defund the police and he hates, he hates them. He thinks there's, he's the, they're the enemy. And on the other, Biden's going to have, I think, a much more uh, open, we can fix this together. Here are some ways we can tax the rich message. They're going to be very different messages. One of them, I think, has more natural appeal, but it's not, the, the mar a, lot of, a lot of the difference is going to be if Republican voters, people who were comfortable voting for Mitt Romney, if they're convinced that something bad would happen if they let Democrats in charge again. I think that's why so much of the campaign, when you're talking about divisiveness, is not going to be the president saying, look at Joe Biden's terrible positions. It's going to be, if Joe Biden's in there, Ilhan Omar is going to run free, Bernie Sanders is going to run free, et cetera. It's going to be pitting Trump emphasizing, kind of in a Pied Piper way, emphasizing the, the most far left forces, in not just in the party, but in America. I mean, he's going to try to blame Biden for the existence of Antifa or the uh, or, or protesters in Portland. That's not been clicking, but I mean, the, the natural outcome is that's going to be a fairly divisive campaign. And look, uh, the, the the Biden response is he not response to this, but the Biden theme since he launched the campaign has been this president takes not just sides; he takes the wrong side. He often takes the racist side, uh, and we need a president who's going to govern for everybody. So. There's a little bit of a sharp elbow against Trump, but not the same, not the same kind of catch-all, let's attach him to every malevolent force in the country. It's a lot just blaming Trump for Trump's record and Trump's positions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Really smart analysis in the piece and uh, only have about a minute left, but just curious, what does the rest of your week look like here in Milwaukee and will we have a chance to get a good Milwaukee beer while you're in town? Oh yeah, I guess I haven't had one yet. Um, uh, like it's, it's, I always do love, I've only landed in, in, um, Dane County airport and, um, and the Milwaukee airport. And both of them have, you know, the, the giant, uh, containers of spotted cow that you can bring home. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like a cliche, but I think I'm going to bring, bring some of that home. No, I, um, might try some t today. I'm, uh, coming to you from a beer garden that seems to have opened up. So maybe that's fate. Uh, oh, and, are you uh, in Juno Park? I'm in Juno Park, yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah. well, I can literally, I think I might be able to see you from my apartment. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll wave in the general direction. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I mean, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'll have some of that. But look, um, a lot of what I've been doing is interviews via phone, via text, uh, watching caucus meetings on Zoom, and then kind of coordinating stuff with people when they have the time to meet up. But there's not a lot to see in person, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I and mean, like, there can be a lot of um, ephemera and nonsense and waste of time at a convention. One of my pieces, and no one likes this. One of my, one of the things I like the least is, uh, is going through a gigantic security line, getting your 
getting everything pulled out of the bag and checked, you, you know, uh, I, I guess I look a little bit suspicious, but it's like the, the high level <laughs> suspicion, uh, without, I don't mind that. Um, and I don't, honestly, one thing that we're all looking at, those of us who came to the state to cover the convention, which is not a ton of people, is if this works, I mean, let's say there's an election that Biden wins after doing objectively less campaigning, less in-person campaigning than anyone who's run for president since, uh, since Warren Harding. If that is successful for him, I think there's going to be some attrib- attribution to the conditions and how <laughs> unique conditions that no one wants to repeat. And some will be, okay, well, how much time were we actually wasting <laughs> on, on, all the, on all the rigmarole? I mean, I can see that pay, I'm paying attention to how this convention works because there might be a normal convention next year. There might be a convention in Milwaukee. I hope it's also a nice, you know, high 70s, low 80s, sunny week. Uh, and I can imagine them downscaling some elements of it. Um, if, if, we, if we admit that the party needs to meet and nominate somebody and have some speeches that make their pitch, they might not need all of the stuff they had in the past. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, again, Dave, really appreciate you being on the show and appreciate your analysis. Thanks for covering Wisconsin for so many years uh, and uh, giving us the spotlight. And hopefully I'll, you know, I'll try and find you on my afternoon walk. And and, uh, on our next, uh, the next time I have you on, we'll have to talk music because I I think you and I both have a shared passion for rock and roll. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm sad now thinking of Summerfest, which is a, like, I'm normally right near where that would be, right? If I'm in Juneau exactly. Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just south of where you are. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for making me some time for me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, David. You've been listening to Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olicara, sponsored by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridget Build. This has been a WISPolitics.com, WISBusiness.com podcast production.